0: in 1st Peter chapter 3, 1st Peter chapter 3, we're going to do Lord willing, time willing verses 9 through 15, we got to stop at verse 15 because in the middle of verse 15 is a great, wonderful topic. And uh, you can look at there in verse 15 about always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you. Great verse there about our responsibility in spreading the gospel. And then once you also get into verses 18 through 22, it gets into a real deep subject there. So those are things that we're not going to be able to cover real quickly. So we're going to get up to about verse 15 here tonight and stop. Now, real quick, our stepping stone into the lesson tonight is the last word mentioned in verse 9 where it says that you may inherit a blessing. So, it leads us to how do you have a blessed life? Now, you've got to remember this word blessing. This blessing has been twisted and turned and butchered by many different groups of Christians. When you think of the word blessing, do not think if I open my door and money just sits there in front of me. Blessing is not God giving you a new car every single year. The word blessing literally means, oh, how happy. That's what that word means. So, when it says you're blessed... It means you're happy. It's a joy that God has given you from the Lord. So when we say, do you want a blessed life, if your little wheels are turning of materialism, then you're a heathen sinner. But what we're really trying to talk about here tonight is this idea of having joy in life. And and I know that's such a simple, straightforward thing, but I'm telling you right now, the majority of the people I talk to are not having a lot of joy in life. They do not have a blessed life. Now, they may look that way on the outside, but they are not having joy in what they're going through in life. So the question comes up, do you want to bless life? Well, tonight it tells us how to get that. So let's start here in verse 10. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if you're looking here, There's three things that God says, if you want to bless life, there's three things you need to do. I love it when it makes it this simple. The first thing, if you want, if you look here, the goal is to have love life and see good days. Isn't that the prayer that we have? Is that we would love life and have good days. I put the verse in there in John 10.10. Or Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That is one of the goals that Christ came. He obviously came so that he would die on the cross for our sins and we could have salvation. But he also came that you would have a blessed life. So when I run into somebody who's not having much joy in life, one of the things I always tell them is, this is not God's plan. And if it's not God's plan, we have to stop and say, what is going on that therefore we're not having that joy in life? Now, does this mean that when you have a blessed life that everything works out perfectly for you? Of course not. And I'm not trying to say that in any way whatsoever. I've gone and visited people that are on their deathbeds, and they sure had a lot of joy. I've gone and seen people in the middle of a very destructive part of their life, and they sure had a blessing. It's not about the scenario, it's about the Savior being in your life. If you are basing your joy in life on the scenario that you're in, so therefore my life is good, so therefore I am blessed, you're missing the whole point of this. You are blessed because you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is why you are blessed. So we have to understand the goal is having the life that Christ has called for us and also having the days that Christ has called for us. A lot of the times when we get depressed and discouraged in life, it's because our expectation of life is different than what God's expectation of our life is. And I hear people say and I say myself in a really whiny voice. Well, this isn't what I want It's Not about what I want. It's about what God has in store for me Well, this is not fair. It's not about being fair. It's about what God has in store for you So the first thing here is the goal is having the life in the days that God has in store for you Now what's built on this? So you want the blessed life? What's the first thing you should do? Look at verse 10 Keep your tongue and your lips from evil It's amazing how many people get themselves in trouble all the time by the words that they speak so therefore, they speak words that get themselves in trouble, and then they come and whine and moan about it. But yet they got themselves in trouble by how their actions and their words. Now, anytime the idea of tongue and evil and words come up, I automatically go to Proverbs. I just pick three verses here in Proverbs, and I'm not exaggerating. You could probably pick 30 verses out of Proverbs to deal with the tongue. But just look at the three that we picked. The first one, Proverbs 29:11. A fool vents all his feelings. A wise man holds them back. Part of maturity as a Christian is you don't share every thought going on in that mind of yours. Part of maturity as a Christian is you keep those things inside rather than venting everything you're thinking and feeling. The Bible says if you do that, you are a fool. Because what happens is you have no self-control when it comes to your emotions. And as Christians, God has created us as emotional beings, which is not wrong to be emotional, but it's wrong when the emotions of your life control you. I know Christians that when you go talk to them, you never know what you're going to get. Oh, it's a good day. Okay, we can have a good conversation. Oh, it's a bad day now. Now we just they gave up on God. Oh, it's a good day again. They want to serve. And it's this constant up-down. A fool vents all his feelings. A wise man holds them back. Sometimes you have to reach a point where you say, you know what, this is between me and the Lord, and the Lord and I are going to work on it. You keep that inside. Now, it's not because we don't care, but some things can only be worked on between you and the Lord. Now, I'm going to throw out a little pet peeve of mine about this. I loathe it when someone wants to communicate to me that there's something deeper, but they don't want to get into it. I loathe it when people come up to me and say some of the fact of, well, you know, Pastor, I was going to tell you, I better not say anything. Oh, come on. You did that. on. I know you did that on purpose. Or they're walking around and they're moping. What's wrong? Nothing. Oh, come on. You're venting your feelings if you got something you want to talk about come to me and talk about it I'll listen we'll pray and we'll speak truth, but don't do the middle ground here A mature believer knows what to say when to say it how to say it and if to even say it at all Look The next one in proverbs whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble All of us sitting here tonight Our mouth has got us in trouble one way or another. We shouldn't have said it or we said too much or we responded harshly Part of maturity is you guard your mouth and tongue. And the last one, this is out of the New Living Translation. Fool's words get them into constant quarrels. They're asking for a beating. You just got to love the New Living Translation. They're asking for a beating. Sometimes I've met people that are just asking for a beating. They've got to learn to keep their mouth shut. So what you see here in 1 Peter chapter 3, you want to bless life? Watch your tongue. Watch your lips. Watch what you say, who you say it to, and how you say it. There's maturity in your words, and that means in your marriage, in your work relationships, in your friendships, watch what you say, and your mouth will keep you out of trouble if you're careful with your words, if you act like a mature believer with it. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about that first part before I move on to the next one? All right, next one, pretty simple, straightforward, verse 11, turn from evil and do good. This message is so simple. I don't know how else to say this. If there's something in your life you know you shouldn't be doing, you should stop doing that and do the right thing instead. I know that's not life-changing, and I know that's not deep and thought-provoking, but it's truth. If you know there's something in your life that is evil, turn away from that and do what is right. And generally speaking, we don't have to sit here and fast and pray over areas in our life to say, what areas am I not doing good in? We could probably make a really quick list on the back of the bulletin without thinking too much. Yeah, I struggle with this, I struggle with this, I struggle with this. What's the answer? Turn from that and do good. Generally at this point when I'm doing counseling with somebody, they say, well, it's not that easy. And I generally respond by saying, yeah, usually it is that easy. That you reach a point where you say, I don't want to do that action anymore. So since I don't want to do that action anymore, I turn from that action and I do good. That's what the word repent means. Repent means to do a 180. You turn. Look at the verse we wrote down in Ezekiel. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. I'm just going to encourage you right now, either be it now on the way home or whenever you have that quiet time with the Lord, Seek the Lord on verse 11 and say, is there something in my life that does not line up with Christianity, does it not line up with Christ, that I need to turn from? God will give you the strength to do it. Look at the last one here if you want to bless life, verse 11. Seek peace and pursue it. I know a lot of Christians that they're looking for an argument all the time. They're just begging for someone to say something to them, so therefore they can respond in the flesh and anger. We as believers are called to be above that. We're called to seek Peace. Even if the other person doesn't want to seek peace, we're still called to seek peace. And not only seek peace, but pursue it, to try to find the peaceful solution. And I was just talking to somebody this week on the phone, and this subject came up, and this person says, well, I don't like being walked on. I don't like being walked on either. But Christ set the example of being walked on. And my personal opinion is, if I'm allowing someone to walk on me, I don't look as being walked on, I look as being meek. I look at it as seeking peace. I don't think that's being a pacifist. I don't think that's being weak. That's being above the fray. That's being above this anger and frustration saying, you know what, I'm going to seek peace and pursue it. Those are verbs there. Seek and pursue. Do you know how much effort it takes to seek peace and pursue it? It's easier to jump in and have an argument. It's easier to put your guard down, and when they yell, you yell back. When they get angry, you get angry back, and they use words they shouldn't use, and you use words you shouldn't use too. That's easy. The hard thing to do is seek peace and pursue it. And the truth of the matter is you really want to tick somebody off? They're angry at you? Just don't get angry back. That just makes them more mad. But as believers, we're called to seek peace and pursue it. Just, just, just think about this for a second. You, you want the blessed life. Oh, how happy. We want that life. Can you imagine if we would just do these steps? The first one, verse 10. You watch what you say. Your words and your lips and your tongue would not get you in trouble. How much trouble would that save us? The next one, turning from evil and doing good. If I would just look at my life and say, Lord, these actions that I'm doing cause more harm than good. They're not worth it. I'm turning from that. And lastly, instead of trying to pick a fight with people, I would seek peace. I'm telling you right there, your life would be a whole lot more blessed. How simple does God make this? The answer is simple. follow through is hard. Now, before we continue on with this, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about these three steps here, Ryan? Yes. Yes. And that's good old King James lingo there. That and that's true. It carries that connotation of when you see something evil in your life, there is such a hatred of that evilness in your life because it's hurting yourself and pulling you away from your relationship with God that that you want to stop. That you, like, like Ryan was saying there, that you hate it. You want to turn from it because you know the damage it's doing. It's a very strong word, very strong word. And, and I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. I remember years ago, uh, there was a gal from the community, and her and her husband popped into my office, and I've shared this story with you before. And she was into drugs, and she was coming down off. She was doing some drugs she shouldn't be doing. And she was coming off some cocaine stuff, and she came into the office, and her husband sat there, she sat there, and he said she wants to quit. She wants to be done. And I said, okay. And so we talked a little bit, and as she was kind of settling down a little bit. I said, do you want to stop? She goes, oh, yeah, I want to stop. And I remember asking her, I said, why do you want to stop? Because I, I want to stop because my husband wants me to. She didn't hate it. She, she, the only time she's going to want to stop is when she wants to stop. And, and that's the whole point about hating evil. You can come into my office, I could go to you, and I can come to you and say, I, I'm really upset at my life. I, I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, and I don't like it that I do this, this, and this. But do I have a holy hatred of it, that I really look at my life and say, Lord, I want to stop this action because it's hurting my witness in you, it's hurting my relationship with you, and it's damaging me spiritually. Until that happens, nine times out of ten we don't want to stop. If you only want to stop because you got caught, or if you only want to stop because it's the right thing to do, your heart's probably not in it. You want to stop because you have a holy hatred of it, it hurts Christ, it hurts your relationship with Jesus, and you want to turn from evil. That is a strong word. Yeah. Now, it is. When you when you love Christ, hopefully you then hate anything that hurts your relationship with Christ. And it goes back to something, I can't remember if it was a Sunday or a Wednesday we talked about a few weeks ago, where very simply put, we either fall on the rock of Christ and are broken, or the rock of Christ falls on us and breaks us. And when you fall on the rock of Christ, you fall on Jesus and you say, I look at my life and I want these things to be different. That's why, like on Sunday when we did communion, we always have that quiet time of confession before communion, because it's a time for us to go to the Lord and say, I'm confessing these sins to you. These are the things I'm struggling with, and God, I need help. I want to hate this sin like you hate sin. I mean, think about how much God hates sin. Now, n- note, he never says he hates the sinner. He hates sin. He hates what sin does to us. God help us. Anybody else have anything I want to say about this before we move on? All righty. So now the question comes up, why would we do these things? Why would I keep my tongue from evil? Why would I turn from evil and do good? Why would I seek peace and pursue it? The answer is found in verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to the prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's always watching. I'm telling you right now, if I send the boys to go clean up their room, they'll get it clean in usually about three, four hours. If I go stand at the door and watch them, they get it done in about five minutes. It's amazing how much quicker we work when we know the boss's eyes are on us. So when you look here at verse 12... God's eyes, ears, and face are always on us. Now, that's either very encouraging or very troubling. If it's encouraging, it probably means that spiritually where you're where you're supposed to be and you stop and you say, oh, my Lord and Savior is always watching out for me. Thank you, God. If you're not where you're supposed to be spiritually, you probably look at that verse and say, okay, that's really uncomfortable. Why? Because look at Ecclesiastes 12:14: For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know, there's a lot of times, and this has been said many times by many pastors in many ways, you look to the left, you look to the right, you make sure no one's watching, but you forget to look up. And really what it's saying here in 1 Peter 3, 12, God is always watching. Now, I hope the mindset that he's always watching is because he loves you. I hope it's the mindset of the parent watching their kid playing on the floor because that parent just loves that kid and just loves to watch them experience life. Now, if it's the flip side, that you're the bad kid and the parent has to watch you because you're always getting in trouble, it's not as encouraging. The goal with this passage is, I hope that we look at this as it says, verse 12, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Lord, thank you for always watching out for me. His ears are open to their prayers. Lord, thank you for listening to me. But if I'm doing evil... God's against that. Now, he's against it in love. I want to make sure that point comes across clearly, but he's against it in love. And so, what happens is now we see how to have a blessed life, verses 10 and 11. But, verse 12, let's just be honest. If your life is full of evil and your life is full of evil actions, it comes right out and says in verse 12, God is against you. Now, Don't take that as God hates me. No, he's against the lifestyle choices you're living. So once again, when someone comes into the office and they say, why is my life so miserable? And my follow-up question is, how are you doing spiritually? Not good. Well, then right there, your life is miserable because spiritually you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now there's a whole other segment and some of you may be thinking, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why is my life still rough and tough? That's a Job teaching and we'll get to that some other day and I'm not trying to downplay that. But the context of the passage that we're talking about here, very simply put, is when we're not living the life we're supposed to live, we don't have that joy. We don't have that blessing of obedience. And so therefore, life is not joyful. I see a lot of times people that are really bummed out and discouraged in life. Spiritually, they're not strong. And they wonder why they're bummed out and discouraged. Because there is a joy in doing what God has asked us to do. Now, what happens, though, if you're still doing it right? Look at verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Some of you may be saying, okay, James, I hear what you're saying. Verse 10 um, my tongue is not speaking evil. My lips aren't speaking deceit. Uh, verse 11, I'm turning from evil and doing good. I'm seeking peace. I, I don't think I'm doing evil. I'm still suffering. But look at verse 14. Even if you should still suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Now, that's one of the hardest things to tell people, is that even though you may be doing everything right, you're, you're still going to suffer. I know many people that have not done anything wrong, but yet they're the ones that got the bad diagnosis at the doctor. I know many people that have really led a life glorifying Christ, and they're the ones that have horrible situations happen in their life that are beyond their control. Is this God playing some mean trick on us? No, it says right here in verse 14, is you still will suffer while you're doing what's right. Now, this is where some people have a real problem with this Christianity thing. So you're telling me, Pastor, if I do what's wrong, I'm not going to have a joy and I'm going to suffer. Is that right? That's right. But you're also telling me, Pastor, if I do everything that's right, I could still have Job moments and suffer. Is that right? That's right. Amen. So you're telling me I'm going to suffer whether I'm doing good or whether I'm doing bad. Is that right? That's right. The only difference is when you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're still blessed. And if you don't think that's possible, then i got a lot of people you need to meet. Because I've seen people suffer in Christ, and they are still blessed. Because they realize in the whole scheme of eternity, what matters most is heaven and hell. What matters most is, are my kids saved? Am I walking with the Lord? You know, Where am I at spiritually? Look at this one more time in verse 14. Suffer and blessed are used in the exact same verse. That's not a contradiction. The example I like to use a lot is, remember the parable of the man that built his house on the rock versus the man that built his house on the sand. You probably remember the song from when you were kids. So the guy builds his house on the rock, the guy builds his house on the sand, and we all know what happens. A storm comes and the guy that builds his house on the sand, what happens? His house gets completely knocked down. Why? Because it's a picture of you built your house on sand. It's not the firm foundation of Christ. So therefore, your life gets knocked down. So the teaching point is always you build your house on the rock of Christ. Because if you build your house on sand, your life is not going to work because you're not on Christ. We forget in that parable, the storm hit both houses. So you can still build your house on Christ. And guess what? It's still going to rain on you. It is. Just because you know Jesus, that doesn't mean your car will never break down. Just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to be the one that gets laid off at work. Just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you're not the one that's going to suffer physical problems. Because it says in verse 14 that you are suffering, but you're doing it for righteousness' sake, and you are blessed. Now, you may not feel it at that time, but you are blessed. Now, right here is the point where we usually say, well, what's the blessing that comes out of this? Context, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you. The reason you're still blessed while you're suffering in verse 15, it's an opportunity for you to still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of your storm, when your world is falling apart and people come up to you and say, man, I don't know how you handle that. It's an opportunity for you to say, I can't handle it. Christ is the one handling it. Or someone comes up to you and says, I, I don't even know what to say to you. I heard what you're going through, and I, I'm just so sorry. No, Christ is getting you through it. Right there in verse 15, you have an opportunity to proclaim God, even in the middle of the storm. Now, for that to really happen, that takes a real mature response. And I would love to sit up here right now and say that I always do that, but I don't always do that. Last August, um, I got out of bed, and just something just did not feel right. And I ran into the bathroom, and I died on the floor in there. And I called Dawn up, and I said, something's not right. And I said, something is hurting here real bad. And I said, what's the only thing I could do? So when I don't know what to do, when you guys don't know what to do, who do you call? Sometimes you call me. I don't have the answers. You know what I do when I don't know what to do? I call Rich. So I said, Rich, I need you to take me to the hospital. So Rich got over, came over. It was his family day. He was more than willing to come over. And if you ever need someone to take you to the hospital when you're in intense pain, Richard Betts is the best guy to do it. Better than me. I'm just telling you that right now. Richard gets me to the hospital. Long story short, had another kidney stone. I've had those before. If anybody's ever had kidney stones before, they're not fun. They're not fun in any way whatsoever. reason I bring this story up, I look at verse 14, and I'm suffering. Don and I have this big debate of what hurts more kidney stones or having babies. That's what we, we have this big debate. Finally found a woman. Finally found a woman, Melissa Walther, she used to worship out here with us, had kidney stones while pregnant. Asked Melissa what's worse, kidney stones or delivery. She said, kidney stones. So take that, Dawn. So, anyway, I'm suffering. I'm telling you right now, I never once thought, wow, Lord, I hope you bring a non believer nurse. To the doctor. So that way I have an opportunity to witness for you for Christ. I wasn't thinking that. I wasn't thinking, wow, Lord, what a great time for Rich and I to have some one-on-one fellowship as I'm dying in the car on the way to the hospital. I'm not thinking that. But yet, you know what happens? When you come into my office or you call me up on the phone and you're suffering, what's the first thing I tell you? Oh, the Lord will use this. God will use this. And you know what? I believe that when I'm telling you it. When I'm going through it on the other side of the phone, I don't know if I believe that. Because when you're in the middle of the storm, it's hard to see the greater good. When I read through these passages, and God help me, and I, and I even hesitate saying this because I know how it works. God help me the next time I'm suffering for righteousness' sake. Lord, I hope I see the big picture. I hope I see that even in the middle of the storm, God still says you're blessed. Now, I hope I don't have to learn that lesson the hard way. I hope I can just say it and mean it and move on. Some of you coming in here tonight, you are suffering. God says you're still blessed. Some of you have been suffering for quite some time, be it emotional, physical, or spiritual. God says you're blessed. And why are you blessed? Because you have Jesus Christ. Now, if you get your eyes off Christ, it's really hard to look at that suffering as a blessing. But when you keep the eternal perspective, wow, Lord, this suffering is something you're going to use for the greater good. If you're suffering, I encourage you to go back our little checklist Just make sure that you didn't bring the suffering on yourself by your actions, by your tongue, by your deeds, by your words. A lot of times we bring suffering on ourselves by things we shouldn't be doing. Okay, God, forgive us. We repent of that. And as it says there in verse 11, let's turn from our evil and do good. But if you came in here tonight and you're like, boy, James, I'm not trying to say I'm perfect, but I'm really struggling with some things. Seek the Lord. Find out there's something in your life that needs to be changed. God may just come back and say, you know what, you're suffering for righteousness' sake, and he goes, you're blessed. may not feel like it at the time, but God says you are blessed. They anybody have any final questions, comments here about 1 Peter 3 and uh, what we went over here tonight? Alrighty. Oh, yeah, David. Mm. Right. And, and, and that, is, that is a great point. If I'm going to suffer, I want to suffer for what's doing right rather than for what's doing wrong. Because the Bible does promise right here in verse 14 if you are suffering for doing what's right, God says you are blessed. And if you're going to suffer, you might as well take the blessing with that suffering. Maybe I'll anything I want to say here before we go ahead and close up. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you now. Um. This world is a very difficult world. And I just think of that passage where it says that you have brought peace into this world through you. And, Lord, I also just think of that passage where it says, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Lord, you've overcome the world. Lord, when we're suffering, show us. If there's something in our life that we're doing that's wrong, then help us to turn from the evil and do good. But, Lord, if you're going to use this suffering as a time to spread the gospel, then, Lord, empower us and strengthen us. And help us to see the big picture that you are moving and working, Lord. And we just trust you in faith. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.